This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for January 3rd. This is episode 2089, and it's brought to you by the American Driving Society. Good morning, horse world. Well, welcome everybody to Horses in the Morning, the world's leading podcast for the horse world. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we do something a little bit different. And on the first Thursday of every month, we have the driving episode with Dr. Wendy Ying. So, Wendy, what do we have coming up on today's show? Um, In our first show of 2019, we're talking all about trends. Trends in driving, training, fashion, and podcasts. Katie Whaley of Hats by Katie talks about hats. Katie Cadwell shares her Tremont training tip and fills us in on the new 2019 combined driving rules. Kathleen Hake discusses the goulash wagon. And on the TCVM segment, we explore how to keep your water horse in balance. (laughs) I know where that came from. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But we do have a Daily Winnie. Okay, my daily winnie for uh, today is to Mike Arnold. He is retiring as president of the American Driving Society, a job that he did uh, incredibly well for eight long years. And um, also... Was he in for eight years? Eight years. We were doing the driving show when he got in. (laughs) I know, poor Mike. And he really brought the ADS through some very troubling times. You know, he uh, he helped with getting the affiliate agreement with the USEF and really was such a good leader. Uh, his temperament is just so, um, he's so level-headed and down to earth. And he really does a really good job at herding cats because That's horse people aren't like. easy. <laughs> yeah, horse people aren't easy. And he did a really great job. Uh, moving forward. And also, some people might not know this, but Mike is the one that brings us Driving News, which is the online uh, results program that we can see all our friends at all the shows. Back before Driving News, we used to have to take pictures with our phone of the score sheets. And and he was know, the only one doing it. I mean, it is it. One. Yeah. And it's gone. I mean, and he goes there. And before we had a, smartphones, yeah. he was doing this. And he, you know, he did it out of the love for the sport, but it, it had to be a lot of work. And basically, we go there now, and there's just a message that uh, I'm out. Um, that- well, it's a lot of work. I mean, I remember when he first started it, uh, I used to always park next to Mike. Because, you know, I love Mike and Jacob and the family, but he, at the time, this was like back in 2006, 2007, he had this little, uh, you know, Wi-Fi hotspot. And I was like, oh, I'm going to park right next to this guy. Um, Because back in the day, you know, you don't think about it now, but we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have access to the Internet like we do. Uh, 
And Mike did spend a lot of time getting all this information together and putting it up in a super timely fashion. And not only that, it had, um, you know, the marathon times calculator, which was really a savior to a lot of people when they're preparing their times for marathon. And, uh, he had lots of links for everything related to driving. And, um, and also I think one of, yeah, one of the biggest things he did was he introduced me and you. That's right. It was him because Jennifer contacted him when she wanted to buy me a birthday present all those years ago of driving a yeah. four in hand. And he got a hold of you, right? Isn't that how it worked? Yeah. He, um, cause your birthday's on Easter, right? Isn't yeah. It's April 24th. Yeah. So that year it was late. And yeah. so, um, nobody could do it on your birthday. And Mike's like, I know somebody who I know somebody doesn't care about. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I ended so up meeting Wendy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He is responsible. So wait a minute. Yeah. In that case, he gets a double daily Winnie. <laughs> he gets mine too. Yeah, he deserves it. <laughs> he deserves I mean, really, it. He's one of those people in your lives that, you know, he doesn't have to toot his own horn. He's very, very humble, but he really, we couldn't have come to where we are without him so I, thank I, you mike i just read so his uh message on the driving news website and basically it does say that he couldn't continue to do it for free anymore because it takes too much time and I, I, you know he does say on there uh that he would consider uh if someone wanted to purchase or even sponsor the site i would consider it but to paraphrase a recent facebook poster commenting on our horses for sale it would not be cheap so <laughs> yeah. i you know i get it i get why he's doing that you know i at this point in our lives, we could not do this for free. Um, no. There's no way we'd have could, we could have kept going for eight or nine years if we weren't making money doing it. It's just too much work. So I get it. And uh, Mike, Well, when you talk you. about, like, when, when you talk about giving back to the sport, I think he's really gone over the top oh, in that 12 sense. years worth. Really, yeah. <laughs> as, driving, as driving news, let alone the president of uh, the ADS. Okay. And also then his little kid, Jacob, did so good, you know, bringing him through and supporting him when he was a little kid. Jacob started driving when he was like, you know, a baby. Uh, but, but you know what? That's no big deal. The sport's cheap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Mike and Penny were always so supportive of not just Jacob, but all the kids that, that um, you know, they did camp with and went through the ranks with. Just Let's a great family. Let's talk about Black Prong next, because that's another big piece of news here in the horse world, in the driving world. Oh, yeah. Black Prong Tell is... Tell everybody what a, it is, for those that don't know. Okay. Black Prong is a... It's a made-for-combined driving center. It's on 87 acres, and it borders the Gothi Forest right near you, uh, just yeah. outside of Ocala. The Gothi Forest is 53,000 acres, and that is a... Um, I think it's run by the state or it might be your county, but it's managed for uh, equestrian and pedestrian and bike use. So it's a natural area. They have uh, endurance rides there. That that's Endurance some- riders that are, are at the upper levels reside in Ocala in the winter, like a lot of other people, and it's because yeah. of the Gothi Forest. Yeah, it's... it's um, it has miles and miles of trails, and it's year-round access, and it's free. You don't have to pay to, to go riding there. Um, but Black Prong borders on that. It also uh, 
Alan and Maureen Olson built that back in uh, the early 2000s, I think. And Mark Johnson put all the um, hazards in. So it has a few full-size dressage rings. Uh, it has the hazards. You can have a whole full marathon course there. It has these... Uh, Alan actually is a builder in Massachusetts, and he built these really cool barns there. So it's like an apartment with a five or six stall barn. So, uh, you can stay there for, you know, a week or the season and have your horses right there on the property. Plus there's turnout, there's turnout paddocks for the horses. Um, and it's just, just a great community that's out in that area. There's lots of drivers. It's sad to see it go, but you know, I think it's time, uh, you know, that they're devoting themselves to their other, um, other projects that they have going on in Massachusetts. Like I said, Alan's a builder. I think, I think one of his big projects was, uh, the Capitol building in Washington, DC. He remodeled oh. that. And he also, well, that's a big project. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah. And he was also responsible for, uh, a lot of the commercial building in Boston, including the huge bridge there that connects, uh, that goes to the airport and the city. So, uh, when we talk about his building projects, they're not like little, things they're giant he's not building uh, individual houses then (laughs) no no yes some big things going on and i think uh, that black prong uh is probably a full-time job for them and they built it to be their you know winter fun camp and just were kind enough to share it with the rest of us but it'd be a wonderful opportunity for somebody to uh buy that place and have a ready to go uh, equestrian center. I don't know how right it's zoned, and I'm not even sure there is zoning out there where they are. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's zoning. <laughs> it's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I hope that it doesn't get bought by a developer. I hope that it stays equestrian in some way because it's perfect for that. But Lord knows, yeah. who knows, right? Well, like I said, there's so many barns. I think there's nine barns that all have apartments attached to them. So it really would be a, a wonderful opportunity for somebody that wants to. Uh, run a commercial equestrian and it's so close now to have that that's going to be so close to the new world equestrian center going in over Mm -hmm. here and by the way we have coming up on i can give you everybody a little taste a little little sneak here on monday's horses in the morning we will have an interview and i don't know what it is but there's a big announcement coming from the world equestrian center and we have the man himself robbie roberts the owner of the whole operation coming on to make some kind of announcement on Monday morning, so you can look forward to that. I don't know what it is, uh, but it's big news, or they wouldn't have contacted us. So, uh, that's right. Well, him... Black Prong is about twenty minutes yep, from there, about so you could ha- you could stable yourself at Black Prong and drive right to the Equestrian Center. Well, there you go, Wendy. You need a new play toy. You can just buy Black Prong. Uh, well, I've been playing the lottery. If I win the lottery, I will buy that. <laughs> okay. And the auction is March sixteenth at eleven a.m. We'll post a link to the auction site. But if I do win the lottery, I'm going to tell everybody just listening that I'm going to buy it. So don't try to bid me up just because I'm rich after I win the lottery. (laughs) Okay. We'll all wait for that. And then (laughs) one other thing before we're going to talk a little bit about podcasting is your product feature of the month. Oh, yes. I I, I have some herbal products that I sell to the store. And what I'm talking about this month is our Thrush Thrasher. And um, that is a thrush formula. We live in Florida. So look, we battle thrush all the time. 
And I have changed this formula a little bit to make it a little bit more uh, sticky so that it will stick in the hooves for a longer time. I made a thicker formula. And it also, um, it won't freeze in the cold weather. And it doesn't change consistency between hot and cold, which helps in the in the barn. But it's all natural uh, thrush medicine. And it is a blend of essential oils and herbal products. And it works great. And they can find it where? And you can find it at drwendying.com and then search for Thrush Thrasher. Very good. Now, Wendy had an idea here to talk a little bit about podcasting trends on this episode because you all listen to podcasts or you wouldn't be here in this show. Um, and many of you were listening to podcasts before podcasts became popular because you were listening to our show seven, eight years ago. Um, so, you know, I know you had a direction you wanted to go with this, so I'll let you lead the way. You can kind of uh, lead the way, and I will answer anything you have. Well, I think, um, I, you know, I love podcasting. I am one of those ones you're talking about. I listened to podcasts before we before it was easy to listen to podcasts. Um, and I do love talk radio, but I feel like in the last maybe three years, when you say I have a podcast, people don't look at you like, what, what's a podcast? (laughs) Yeah. We still get that some, but less than we used to. Yeah. And, and so, or they say, well, how do I listen on the radio to your show? And it's like, okay, well it's on demand. You can listen anytime. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to schedule a time to listen. So I think the one the thing I like about it is it's on demand and you can have a podcast for anything. You're not limited to like my interests are pretty, you know, I ha- I like horses and I like dogs and I like veterinary medicine. Well, there's no general radio shows about any of those things, right? But there's tons of blogs that that I can listen to that are things that I am interested in listening to. And I think nowadays, one of the um, things that they're trying to tell people of how to market their small business is having a podcast to go along with your blog can go a long way to help you brand your organization. Well, we have so, perfect examples of that on the Horse Radio Network. Uh, we have the WISA show, which is the Western uh, English uh, Sales uh, <laughs> Sales Association out there in Denver. I'll be going out there next weekend. Uh, And they're a trade organization, you know, wholesaler meets retailer in the equestrian world. And their show, which is on our network, which we produce, is designed for their members and for the general audience, for for you all, to listen and get a little insight into brands and, and how it all works on the other side, on the wholesale side. And we also have the Purina Show and the Horse Nutrition Podcast, which is out there now with seven episodes. That can be found on all the podcast players and on the Horse Radio Network.com website. And that was a show about, you know, horse nutrition that we did with Purina. There's a branded podcast, just what you were talking about. Well, and also, too, you know, with that podcast, we could get in-depth about a topic that they wanted to talk about in nutrition and the people that are interested in that can listen, but the like millions of people that don't even know about horses are not going to listen. So in the past, before we had podcasts, there was no way to even find that kind of information. 
Well, no. last year, there are as of December of this year, or as of December of last year, rather, in 2018, Apple currently had 630,000 podcasts on the network. Wow. Uh, yeah, and had increased 200,000 podcasts in 2018 alone. Wow. Uh, yeah, 44% of the U.S. population has listened to a podcast, and that's up from when we started for sure. Uh, yeah. I think it was 20%. 49% of podcast listening is done at home, which I was kind of surprised about. 22% is done in the car. In our case, 75% is done while cleaning stalls. Yeah, uh, but that's technically at home. Like, yeah, I that think is at, listening well, at home. Yeah. Like, I listen to podcasts when well, I'm doing, doing yard, yard work. work and, yeah, that kind of thing. But, you mm. know, ours is cleaning stalls and driving to shows and things like that. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because we're getting better statistics now on how many listen to what part of the shows, how many mm -hmm. listen to all the show or part of the show. I think in our case, we find that, especially with Horses in the Morning, 90% of the audience listens to 90% of the show. So they yeah. get almost to the end, you know, uh, uh, and that's an hour and a half, five days a week. Um, well, with this length of show, I think, you know, at least when I listen, I listen to it like, like I might put on good morning America in the morning and I'm listening, but I kind of am doing other things. Doing, and well, then I think that's true. Interesting thing comes on. I'll yeah. listen. So, so you want to listen to the whole thing, but I think what's kind of interesting in podcasts going to the future is that people are doing more shorter segments, like five to 10 minute segments and putting them as standalone shows, kind of like what Jen did for stable scoop. Yep. Because now with Alexa and those kind of smart speakers, you could say Alexa put on blah, blah, blah. And they'll search for that one tidbit that you want to listen to. Yep. Uh, that so is true. I think there's a place for both. I think th that's been a discussion, obviously, at the podcasting conferences forever is what length the yeah. show. I think there's a place for both because if you're driving an hour to work, you don't want to fiddle with uh, hit and play t five or six oh, times yeah. while you're driving to sure. work because the show's five minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think people will allot as much time as they have in places they want to for different yeah. lengths of shows. Like if I'm driving for an hour, I'll pick a longer show because Me I don't too. want a full round of my phone halfway through, right? Or like I have like long audio books I like to listen yeah, to. Right. Um, but it, what's interesting is a lot of people don't know. So if you're out there and you're thinking about doing a podcast, just like we had a listener come to us and say, I want to do a show about thoroughbreds. Well, we're putting that together and it's going to start in February. Um, right. So, you know, it was a listener that actually got that started. Joy, thank you very much, that got that rolling. But she's the one that got the ball rolling and we put it together. So if you're looking at starting a show, you too can be on the Horse Radio Network. We're the largest uh, podcast network for the horse world by far. And we're one of the largest independent podcast networks in the world of all types. So, yeah, we can produce but a also, show. Also, even if it's not horse related, like maybe you have a business that does skincare. And you want to add a podcast that goes with your blog, you know, the, the, you can help produce that. Yes. We will, we do production on shows that are not horse related. Mm -hmm. And if you live in Florida and you want to do a show that's about Florida, uh, or anything relating to Florida, we, we, we would do that on the, on the Florida podcast network, which right. is another network that Jemmy owns, uh, you know, Jemmy from our show, she owns it and I'm, I'm part owner of it. Uh, but she started that network and we're producing all kinds of new podcasts over there and anything travel related as well. Uh, we can right. produce over there as well. And we have experience producing now probably more podcasts than 
I got to believe we're in the top 10 of all yeah. podcast producers in the world because we're at over 7,300 episodes. And right. that's a ton. <laughs> that's a ton. Well, and another thing, it seems like, okay, you can read the instructions and figure out how to do a podcast. Like, even if you can figure out the tech part, well, that's great. But then how do you optimize it? How do people find you? Like with HRN and the Florida Podcast Network, you you have the infrastructure so that you can get them to hit on the Apple search when people are looking for you. Or you have the SEO capability so that when they when they're trying to find a podcast about whatever your podcast is about, it actually shows you and you're not just hidden behind all this other stuff. It's interesting too, you know, obviously things have changed since you and I started to, um, started to do podcasts in that people were listening on their computers when we started and now they're, uh, you know, it's, uh, the statistic is 81% listen on their phones now. Yeah. So it's, that's changed a whole lot. When, because oh, when yeah. we started smartphones, really, we didn't do much. <laughs> so it yeah. Well, it took so long for it to, to, to like, download. download. Yeah, because you, you didn't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you didn't have Wi-Fi back then on your smartphones. Yeah. So things have really changed, and uh, uh, we're glad to, that you can you keep us as part of your lives. We really appreciate that. Um, and it's, you want to hear some of the other statistics that are very funny yeah. about podcasts? This is kind of yeah. on the chuckle side. 51% of bottled water households are podcast listeners. Oh, I don't doubt it. 57% of baby food households are bottled ca- podcast listeners. 53% of beer households are podcast listeners. Smart uh, people. But yet 54%, 1% more of milk households are podcast users. Now, I kind mm. of figure as I go down through all of this, we covered almost every household, right? Because yeah. you drink beer, juice, milk, or water. <laughs> so, um, babies. But it is interesting that 70% of the respondents to this survey said they have bought something from a podcast ad. And I think that from just the what we hear through our listeners, that's probably true with us as well. Yeah, I think that with the advertising, you know, when you when you hear uh, an ad on a podcast, whether it be our podcast or, you know, other ones that I'm listening to, the uh, like we usually use the products and intera- interact with the people that are selling the products. So you get to know them. Like, I think the best example of this is the MyPillow guy. Yes. You yes. know the My Pillow yes. guy? Yes. And because I've heard he a review him. on My Pillow and it wasn't good. No, but he liked the My Pillow guy. <laughs> and he started advertising on Sean Hannity's podcast. Yes. <laughs> that's funny. All right, and one last statistic, and then we won't bore you anymore with podcasts. By the way, if you are looking at starting a show and need some help, just get a hold of us at Glenn at HorseRadioNetwork.com. But uh, it, where would you guess that United States falls in podcast listenership as percent of population? What would you guess? Would percentage you guess? of the whole world of no, people just that listen like to the people? number of people in that country that listen as a percentage. I'd say eighty. You'd say we're in the top. Are we the number one country for podcast listening? Yeah. No, we're number five. We are South Korea. Fifty-eight percent of people in South Korea listen to podcasts on no a regular way. basis. Spain is next. Sweden is next. Australia, which we have a lot of Australia listeners, and then the United States. We're number five. Oh, wow. So as a percentage of population, South Korea is the highest. But they tend to be a, a I don't know, have you been to South Korea? Mm-mm. They tend to be a very technological society. You know, they're very tech But maybe society. also, maybe if they don't have a big, um, like, radio and TV industry. Right, right. Like, I guess that's what we compete with, really. 
But, you know, and even though there, we do have a big broadcast industry in the United States, that all of the big stations are going to podcasts also. They know that's where you have to go. That's right. That's right. And and I listen to a couple of regular radio shows on podcast. So, all right. Well, I hope we haven't bored you all. We all, you know, we wanted to add this little segment to Wendy and I's uh, driving show every month, talking about podcasting, what's changed and what's coming up, because you all are podcast listeners. So, uh, and we're podcast geeks. That's right. We're and we're kind of and Wendy's the one I can talk to about this because she's <laughs> as geeky as I am. All right, let's before we get to our first guest. Do you want to do the uh, awards voting that's going on? Sure. Okay. Okay. So the USEF uh, has the these awards, the Pegasus Equestrian of Honor, and those are awards uh, throughout the whole. U.S. equestrian uh, organization for the different disciplines and breeds, and these are our year-end awards. So we have uh, the equestrian, the Pegasus Equestrian of Honor, and also the Horses of Honor. And what happens is, um, I actually have been sitting on the U- U.S. Equestrian uh, Awards Committee for, I think I'm going on eight years on that now, and it's one of my favorite volunteer. Uh, activities because we get to give away prizes. (laughs) So how it works is our committee um, narrows down the uh, people are nominated by their affiliate organization for like the top people in their discipline or breed. And then we review the people and then we pick out the finalists there in the equestrian of honor. There are nine finalists and then the USEF um, puts it out online and everybody gets to vote. And today, January 3rd, is the last day to vote on your favorite equestrian and your favorite horse of the year. So I just wanted to put in a plug to remind everybody to vote. You do not need to be a USEF member. Um, we'll put the link up there so that you can vote or you can go to usef.org.com and search for it, for that. Um, so you need to vote. We have three drivers in the running for the um equestrian of the year and uh we have and you don't have to vote for just one you pick your top three so if you want to really support driving you pick these three the first one is chester weber and he is the combined driver from live oak in ocala florida and he was instrumental in winning the team gold for combined driving at the WEG this year and he also was the individual silver at WEG, and he won the becky grand heart trophy and that's for uh, non-Olympic athletes that are FEI, in FEI sports. So that's between the combined driving, paradressage, reining, endurance, and vaulting. Uh, our other driver is Eugene Sweeney, who's from Bonterra Farm in Dover, New Hampshire. And he won the Bill Robinson Trophy that is presented to equestrians competing horses or ponies of any breed in harness. And he competes Frisians in pleasure driving and also in the Frisian breed shows. And then our third driver is Victoria Gillenwater and she shows Frisian saddlebreds and hackneys, Glenn hackney person. (laughs) And she's from scenic view farm in Knoxville, Tennessee. She won the CJ June Cronin trophy and that's for horses competing under saddle in non hunter and non Western disciplines. So, um, you definitely need to get on there, pick your favorite, 
riders or drivers. Uh, we also have the six horses of honor and this is really fun for our whole committee to go over the horses of honor because we have such fantastic horses in this country. And, you know, me being a driving person, I don't really know all the, you know, other disciplines and breeds. Um, but the first one is, uh, we have the, our WEG stars. So we have the show jumper, Eddie blue and Glenn, I was so happy that you sent me over it when we were at WEG to cover the finals of jumping because well, it was thrilling. <laughs> oh my God. It was so exciting. And then I, so I got to see Eddie blue, uh, in real life and he really is one of my favorite horses. So he's, uh, the, a gray show jumper, uh, and he, um, was on the, the gold medal winning U S team. We also have the reigning horse, Ms. Dreamy, who won the individual silver and team gold. And some of you may know Ms. Dreamy, even if you don't follow reigning, there was a viral video, um, of this horse doing reining and her bridle fell off and the guy just kept doing yep, his, yep. do you remember seeing <laughs> yep, that? Yes. That was her. That was Ms. Dreamy. Um, and then the other, uh, WEG star is Verdades, who, uh, of course got the individual silver and, uh, in dressage and is leading the dressage standings. I, I think that's the highest, uh, medal that any American athlete has gotten in dressage. So that's really exciting. We also have some national superstars. Uh, one of my favorites is Cobra, who's a BLM Mustang competing in Western dressage and Cobra has his own briar, but it has a very, uh, cool story. It's kind of like a, a rags to riches story because he actually was a BLM Mustang that was captured, um, and, you know, born in the wild and trained and does Western dressage. So it's really, uh, it's really exciting story behind that. Also, Karsten, who is a Frisian stallion, he was Frisian Horse of the Year, with one of our uh, frequent guests, Gareth Selwood, who rides and drives. And then we also have the Hunter Private Practice, who is a big star in the U.S. Hunter Jumper Association in the Derbies. And Private Practice is only eight years old and has like the most impressive show record you've ever seen in a show hunter. So I think whether you vote or not is really exciting to go on and to read about all the accomplishments of our awesome American horses. Very good. Thank you, Wendy. And now let's get to our first guest. Kathleen Hake of the Carriage Association of America joins us for her Carriages 101 segment. We're going to talk all about the goulash wagon. Plus, we're going to talk about CAA events coming up in 2019. So welcome, Kathleen. It's great to, to hear from you again in, in the new year. Yes, thank you for having me again. So did you eat well over the holidays? Oh, yes. We had tons of food and tons of good friends. It was a great time. That's great. Including <laughs> us. We went down and visited. <laughs> I know. I saw the photos. I was a little envious of your dry ground. <laughs> <laughs> and warm temperatures. It was hot, actually. Just just rub it in a little bit more. I, will. I, I heard was... Marie talking about her trails <laughs> down there. And since I was up in Michigan over the holiday, I, I was a little envious because I went up to mud and she went down to Florida and <laughs> had fun <laughs> but you probably had a white christmas we did not we oh, did not have enough snow to slay or ski or at all this year 
You, if you can't get enough snow in Michigan, you, you got to go really far up. <laughs> I know they had snow in Arizona, but not in, in Michigan. I, I don't know what the problem was there. <laughs> Canada next year. <laughs> yes. Which actually brings us right back to these, this goulash cannon. Um, so when you're outside and you're in the plane, before, in the be, snow, wait a minute. before you whoop. start talking about the goulash wagon, okay, you got Wendy and I on the subject of goulash, the food, before we <laughs> even called you. And my mom used to make goulash, and it was this spaghetti, spaghetti. It's like spaghetti with macaroni casserole. And Wendy said she remembered a different goulash. You remembered one that was what Hungarian goulash. Like beef stew. Like beef stew. So we got on this whole talk, and it made us really hungry for goulash. Um, and right now I'd take you the beef stew or the uh, <laughs> spaghetti-type one. Which one do you remember? Did you ever have goulash? We did. We had it quite often, and, and we make it with um, elbow macaroni. Yep, that's right. Yes. And yeah. it comes out less like a stew and more like a casserole. Yes, you definitely eat it with a fork. Right, right. And it was spaghetti <laughs> sauce spaghetti based. Sauce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. With hamburger in it or whatever. And my mom made it because she had four boys and it was cheap. So that's why I think people made goulash because it was cheap yes. to make. Yeah, and on a horse farm, it was, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's fast to make on a horse farm. You just cook it up and it's good to go. Okay, now I'm really so. hungry. All right, go ahead. Sorry. We can talk about the wagon now. <laughs> So these are actually called goulash cannons, not wagons. Um, And the reason why is because the uh, pipe on them looked like a cannon often. But if it's in the winter and it's cold, what's the thing that you most want to do to warm up? Be it around a fire. yummy hot food. Yes. And that's especially true um, for soldiers. And one of the biggest things for morale is uh, that soldiers need to receive a hot meal. And during the First World War, that was a little hard. Um, they had d- developed tin foods. That was back in 1810. But they didn't develop stainless steel until 1913. So in between there, there was a large gap where uh, soldiers in particular had to um, sometimes be creative in their food gathering. And during the 1890s, right around 1892, uh, a gentleman by Carl Fisler in Germany developed um, a unique boiler system that worked as a field kitchen. And basically, they made they used two pots. One was made of nickel and the outer one was made of c- copper. And they put glycerin, the type that you use with soap and not the nitroglycerin. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would have been a different issue altogether. <laughs> yes, yes, because the glycerin keeps the um, prepared food from burning apparently. And this was a very successful way to cook. And so the German army promptly took that patent away from him and proceeded to make mobile field kitchens for their soldiers that way. Uh, And they were called uh, their secret weapon for a long time because other countries didn't have this technology and their soldiers didn't eat as well. Well, that only lasted till the first time that the uh, goulash cannon was captured and everybody said oh what a great idea (laughs) and every country developed their own and here in the united states we created um about 2500 mobile kitchens uh for american troops in world war one about 10,000 of those were animal drawn here that we call them liberty kitchens or rolling kitchens 
Uh, but we shipped the vast majority of those to France uh, for soldiers. And I just am blown away by this statistic. By 1918, the American troops in France were eating about 9 million pounds of food every day. Oh, my wow. gosh. And this, that is a lot of food. And to describe it, basically, it's very short, and it has two boilers. And the best I can tell is yes. there's a wood fire that's under the boiler. So mm-hmm. everything they had out of there was boiled, pretty much, soup or yes. whatever. So broth. they learned how to, they eventually learned how to make bread out of, in some of them. But they were, they were very small. They were very compact. Uh, and, but they would feed, like, 250 people uh, on average. Some of them were... Uh, drawn by a single horse, and they would feed 150 to 250 men. But towns were extremely proud of being able to provide their um, soldiers from their area with a version of the cooker. I think everybody has at one time or another packaged uh, and sent packages over for the troops, um, which is a big thing to do around the holidays. And this was their version of it. To raise money and send a, a cooker with your soldiers was a big deal. And uh, so early they, on, it was wood. Then I guess they they it looks like that from some of the later ones they uh, they converted them to gas. They did into World War Two, but in World War One, uh, which is where they were really important, uh, they used everything in in the desert. They used camel dung. Uh, they used wood. Uh, in some of the areas where there were no trees at all, they used straw, which has got to be very ineffective. <laughs> but um, when it comes to you know getting a warm meal, that was it was really important. So really, when you're talking about size, these are smaller than most people's couches. Um, they're very compact, uh, and actually, a lot of people have seen them in museums and or at uh, this past year in World War One celebrations and not really known what they are because they, they look like a square box with a, with a pipe coming out of the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and a couple uh, tanks. Yeah. Yes. And everything happens is contained within these, the square. And uh, that's because they had to be ready to move. And the, the, in Australia, this was James, uh, Wiles created this Wiles army steam cooker. And this thing is amazing. It was built for rugged terrain. Each unit could travel at a gallop, re- reaching speeds of up to 35 miles per hour and st- sustaining them without breaking down. The fuel consumption was only 30% of official use. Within 20 minutes of lighting a fire, it could prepare a meal and it could c- travel consistently at 25 miles per hour and still have a meal going inside of it. And, wow. and so that when you pulled up to the battalion, you could feed them a two-course meal that was hot and we had cooked the whole time. Huh. I mean, that, that, that is great. That is cooking while you're moving. Yes. And I mean, these things were fantastic at just how they created them. And they're a little bit different on each con- uh, country. That was Australia. England made some. Theirs tended to be a little taller, I think. Um, France had their version of them. Uh, and like I said, the, the U.S. had their version um, and they had a spot with a spigot on the side to um, boil water. And this is when uh, instant coffee came into being. Um, so if, if you like instant coffee, that's that's where it came from. Oh, my gosh. That would be like if you're a coffee person, 
and you're fighting over there as a soldier and you don't have coffee, that would be so terrible. This is great. It probably like really boosted their spirits. The, Ger- the Germans were really into trains. And uh, one of the things they used to do is they used to take one of the flatbed cars and they used to put like four of these on the car. Mm-hmm. And then the next car would have a heaping pile of wood. And they used to pull up in the train and they'd have four of them going so they could feed whole units that way. Right. Wow. Yes. And, uh, you know, you read about some of the things that came out of World War One, And I always remember, and I don't even remember the name of the book anymore, but reading about these gentlemen that got tied down, you know, that they couldn't get back to their unit and they survived on frozen carrots. And so that's some of the conditions that these people were under. And, you know, we've all seen War Horse where how terrible the, you know, the mud and everything is. And mm-hmm. to get a warm, dry meal was was a, a great thing. And um, it's just amazing. And going back to the coffee thing, they were going through 37,000 37, pounds of coffee a day in October oh of 1918. 30,000 pounds a day? 30, 37,000 pounds. Wow. That's a lot of coffee. <laughs> but these, these, um, a lot of them had uh, spigots on the side, and you would just come up with your canteen, and they would fill it. Takes them, um, I think it was four minutes to get a, uh, I want to make sure I say that, four gallons of water could be boiled for tea in two minutes. And that's with the Australian. Oh, that's I- faster than the microwave. <laughs> yeah, that's fast. It is. But it, and that, that kind of is, makes me laugh because um, we talk about the National Guard and, and uh, the soldiers being deployed to disaster areas, and, and they do a fantastic job. Uh, they really do. But in, in 2013, they came up with these new um, mobile kitchens that they could use with the new National Guard, and they were so excited because they could cook food in transit and they only take three hours to cook a meal once they reach their destination. (laughs) We were more efficient in world war (laughs) one. But uh, we do appreciate everybody's efforts when we come down to disaster. But um, I I did find that rather interesting that they could do that. But uh, it's amazing how um, something like this, and this was horse drawn, everything. um, Sometimes they were mule drawn, but uh, they were Every everybody in that era was dependent upon horses to to get their their food one way or the other, whether it was plowing it in the uh, fields or or getting it delivered on the uh, battlefield. And uh, now, really a lot of the pictures it. I see of them are two wheels. Were they all two wheeled, or were there four wheeled, or was there reason to only be two wheeled? <laughs> well, there are both. Um, do you know what a lumber is? Mm-hmm. So, so lumber is um, it's kind of like the for cart of today. So there was a there was a section that would attach to the horses. Yeah. And then there's a second section um that they could pull uh military cannons or whatever they wanted to, or they could hook on to this and pull the the meal, um, the, the rolling kitchen. And though it was a uniform shape, so mm-hmm. it didn't make a difference where you were, it would attach to any lumber that was out there. Oh, I see. And so that's where a lot of the two-wheeled comes from. Mm-hmm. Four-wheeled, you have to have a little less mud. Uh, they yeah. get heavier. And uh, so you see the two-wheeled quite often. Four-wheeled is really later on in the history. And uh, they didn't ever catch on so much here in the U.S., 
but they are still in use in um, different parts of Europe. They use them for reenactments. They use them for um, feeding people at, at uh, large conferences, um, not conferences, but parties and, you know, yeah. you're out and about. So this is the forerunner to today's food kitchen or, you know, food, food truck. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. And so we did, we made a lot of them here in the U.S., but we like the uh, chuck wagon a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is really cool. So- and I'm seeing, yeah, you know, Glenn, imagine in your the, job. Yeah, you right. Be doing the I'd be the truck. cooking. Uh, I imagine that these were warm too in the winter, so probably there were a lot of soldiers gathered around the uh, the goulash cannon because it was warm. They were, and it also changed because up until this time, cooking. Although there were definitely men that cooked, cooking was mainly the thing that the women did, and the men had to learn how to cook to make these work. And that's when the attitudes towards cooking kind of changed. So they, you know, between the coffee and the the food recipes, they had a whole, it really changed the social economic um, output of, or outlook of some people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really, for, for a little horse-drawn vehicle, it really had packed a lot of punch. And, um, <laughs> that's which really is why cool. you do see them at, at different things. There was one at the Freiburg Fair. They're, they're, uh, is several at various military um, historical museums, and you do see them around because they are very important to our our history, horse drawn history. There you go, something you didn't know anything about. Now you do the goulash cannon. <laughs> look it up, though. You do, you do need to look it up and see the pictures. There's lots of pictures you'll see of all different kinds, actually, um, yeah. from World yes. War II to World War One to modern. Uh, yes, and pulled by jeeps now, you know, mm-hmm. so. You Very do cool. have to keep in mind when you look at them, particularly if you start seeing the ones with the horses, um, we, they are taken during war. And so, uh, you know, be aware of that. Now, if you really want to see a good website that has them with horses, uh, the World War One Centennial.org website, which was put out um, by Brooks USA, mm-hmm. uh, is a great website to go to see the horse in war. And then they have... Uh, they were very generous in, in uh, allowing us to contribute to their um, website as far as horse-drawn vehicles go. And um, all the information about horses in World War One is up there. So that's uh, worldwarcentennial.org. Well, Kathleen, the CAA does more than just talk about our fabulous carriages. What are, what's coming up in 2019? So we have two big events coming up in, in 2019. The first is in January down in Sarasota, which I believe you'll be there for. Yeah. Um, and that one is going to uh, be focused around, it, it's our learning weekend. So it's a lot of lectures. Uh, we're going to go look at the John Cuneo Jr. Carriage Collection. We're going to go over to the Ringling uh, Museum of Art and Circus Museum. How and Yes, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, Carl Casper is going to be talking about his collection. And and he has done some outstanding restorations and uh, just has some f- fantastic vehicles. And he doesn't talk very often about them in, mm-hmm. in this type of venue. So that should be really amazing. And then uh, Ken Wheeling just sent me his uh, presentation, The Circus Comes to Town, to uh, work on. And uh, 
that <laughs> the photos are are fantastic. Oh, um, I can't wait to see that. That looks exciting. Yes. So that's January 24th through the 26th. And you can find information about that right now on our website at caaonline.com. Our second big event isn't qu- the dates are up on the website, but we're not quite finished planning it yet. And that's going to be September 19th through the 21st in Germantown, T- uh, Tennessee. And one of the big things that we have there is going to be a carriage cavalcade, which is going to be amazing. Um, People are going to bring their favorite carriages to show off. Yeah. And you can also drive them if if your carriage isn't set up to drive. Um, And they'll go around the arena with the full commentary. And then they'll also unhitch and line their vehicles up so the public can go up and look at them up close. And then, like, if you have a sleigh or something that isn't immediately drivable um, or if you have something that's for a foreign hand and you only brought a pair or something like that, Mm -hmm. you can line it up and let everybody see it. We're not sure exactly how many vehicles we're going to get, but we're hoping to get some serious numbers. That Um, sounds exciting. So you want, so it's open to all vehicles. Like if you have a commercial vehicle or if you have a, your, your grandparents vehicle in the, that you found in the barn or, Yes, and this is one where, you know, if you're, we'll also have the carriage showcase. And the sh- carriage showcase is judged, and it's about restoration and mm-hmm. or original condition. But this, the cavalcade, you do not have to be judged. It's just showing off your vehicle. And uh, there, we're hoping, rumor has it, that there's going to be some really nice vehicles there. <laughs> uh, so I'm excited to see them and, and hearing what all the history behind the vehicles and and uh, just seeing the turnouts, uh, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. And mm-hmm. uh, so right now we have we're just holding that date, September 19th through the 21st. But in addition to the, to the cavalcade, we're going to have talks and demos. Um, there's driving there. Uh, we're going to go visit a historic farm. We'll have a trade fair, that type mm-hmm. of thing. So it should be a really nice event in September. Well, that sounds great. That sounds really great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And if anyone needs more info, just go to caaonline.com. And we look forward to hearing uh, about some other unique carriage you have to tell us about next month. Thanks, Kathleen. Thank you. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the ADS. What's going on over there? Well, as we said earlier, Mike, our fearless leader, is retiring And in 2019, um, our treasurer, Dan Rosenthal, is taking over the reins for the organization, for the American Driving Society. And Dan is really, uh, I think he's going to do a great job with the ADS. He's a pony four-in-hand driver. So driving four-in-hands is hard enough. He also does it with ponies, Dartmoor ponies. So he's used to, um, like I said, herding cats. Uh, also, since he's the treasurer, he's pretty organized, and I, I think one of the biggest challenges we have at the ADS is to make sure that we keep enough money in our treasury to offer services to the members. So I think that's a, um, a goal that he's going to be working on. And then his uh, vice president is Donna Bright, who is a pony driver and one of our top judges in the United States. And she's been involved with the American Driving Society for many, many years. So I, I think... Uh, I think this is a nice blend of old and new that we're going forward with, with the new board. The American Driving Society is also the affiliate for the United States Equestrian uh, Federation. 
and they have some fun events coming up this season. Um, this winter, we're kicking off with the Grand Oaks show, which is actually happening this weekend. So if you're anywhere near Ocala, you should get out to go see that show. Maybe the first one um, of the year? The yeah. first one of the year at Grand Oaks, which is near the Villages. And that's a combined driving event that is uh, rated both ADS and USEF. So it's a joint um, show. Uh, then we'll have Nature Coast, which will be at the Black Prom Equestrian Center on January 11th. Uh, then also South Carolina has a very active winter season. They have the Windsor driving Derby, their first driving Derby, uh, of this season. They have three over the, over the months, over the winter months, and that's January 19th. And then we'll have Palm tree CDE at little Everglades, January 24th, which that is one of my favorite venues besides live Oak. And that will be in Dade City, which is close to Tampa. It's a beautiful farm that's kind of an old, old Florida cattle farm. And it's, uh, it's a really well-run event. So if you get a chance to get out there, you should. And in sunny Southern California, we have the Sweetheart ADT at Smoke Tree Ranch. So that will be coming up in February. So we have stuff going on all over the country. Cool. Very good. And then um, you can find all the information about the ADS at AmericanDrivingSociety.org. And now Wendy gets to do something she loves to do, and I never do it with her, and that's talk about fashion. Our next guest is Katie Whaley of Paris, Kentucky, and she's known for her national and international championships in both combined and pleasure driving, but is also the owner and creative director of Hats by Katie, which is my go-to place for fabulous hats and she has <laughs> been you. outfitting equestrians for all their events for riding driving and of course spectating and she's here to share her latest on the fashion trends for equestrians for 2019 so welcome katie thanks wendy you know i know we drivers are pretty you know other people think we're old and stodgy and set in our ways but we do have fashion trends and driving things change over time and we don't want to look like we're in period costume right so what's hot for 2019 well honestly it's it's getting it's getting more feminine we're not dressing like uh, a man thinks a woman i'm glad to hear that yeah and <laughs> we're getting too. away from yeah the old fedoras and um the, the darker colors and not to say that past pastels you have to be a little careful with, but people are not so matchy matchy. They're thinking outside the box now. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's really, it, it's really kind of fun to design hats now and actually and advise people in their whole outfits because uh, they're more open-minded and they, they say, you know, I my carriage is blue. I have to be blue. No, no, you don't. Right. What looks good with blue? There's a lot of colors look good with blue. Um, so the, um, the colors are getting, people are getting more adventurous. I mean, as usual, and the traditional and the more, and the correct turnout is the apron, which I, I harp on. The apron always um, is the, goes with the carriage, not your ensemble. The mm -hmm. apron is there and it should live with your carriage. So it should, it should preferably match the upholstery, if not at least complement the upholstery. No big checks, no bright colors and aprons. Aprons are not a fashion accessory. They're, they're to keep you, um, they're to keep you clean. Right, they're part of the of the carriage. Right, right. And when right. you get out of so, the carriage, you should take that off and leave it there. Right. So your no, apron not, shouldn't not, say "World's Best Mom" on it. 
no, no, no. Okay. And it shouldn't look like a beach blanket with, you know, bright, <laughs> big, bright checks and plaids. And so a subtle plaid is, is perfectly fine. One you could barely notice until you're up close to it. Um, but the big, the big chunky ones and, and having your, um, your apron match your hat doesn't know. And Glenn, this is why also you need to wear pants under your apron because you're going to have to take it off at some point. (laughs) Pants or shirt or something. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, you know, people are just, the the ladies want to be more feminine now and it's really nice to see it's, um, feathers have been coming on as opposed to flowers and they're very popular and Mm -hmm. feathers of movement are very popular. People are doing, um, some, I would, I want to say monochromatic. They, if they like a blue hat, they want it navy, but then they want some highlights in it, um, you know, just to brighten it up so you can see the feathers movement. And well, uh, what else is on trend? What do you think? Has, what What's your most popular hat color? Right now, coming to the season, navy is very popular. Gray is popular. Um, mm-hmm. What you see everywhere, my favorite color, so I have to be careful, is um, dark bottle green is very popular. You see it in clothing. I was just in a, actually in the mall last night and you see a lot of dark bottle green. Is that um, like a, is that like a hunter or what is that? Yeah, it's like a hunter. Yeah. It's I get, see the England, I get my cinema straws. Um, the, the, I call it the bolt, the bolt of fabric, which is cinema. That's the way it comes in my straws from England. And they're about a year and a half to two years ahead of us in their color palettes. So, they are so I they call it bottle green. That's why I call it bottle green. It's just mm-hmm. easier. Um they um but yeah, so greens are really popular, but the the medium brim profile brims are very popular, um, up on one side. And mm-hmm. um some people still like the veils. Um and my my mini topper that I that I originated and started over thirty years ago now is still very popular, believe it or not. I mean for little tiny heads and faces that's the go-to style for a lot of people. Explain the mini topper because that is a really popular style. And um, I remember yeah. when you came out with that, that was like such an innovation. Well, it looks like um, I got my idea. I was watching a written dressage class and I liked that top hat, which is a low, a lower top hat. But I mm-hmm. thought I, I need to make it more feminine. So I made one of mine in a uh, velour felt, which is clearly softer than a, a beaver traditional top hat and um, I put a veil on it and the original one I put a, a puff of, of coordinating fabric in the back and um, actually it was navy blue and had some red trim in it a red blue puff in the back and that was one of the first ones I ever made and um, then a little veil and I drove a gig so it was kind of a formal uh, turnout so I had the veil down and people loved it and then I started doing yeah. it a little bit less formal and it just I don't know why it's still as popular today. People love them, especially the saddlebred people like a little bit of a smaller brim. So it's very popular with the saddlebreds. I think it's easy to wear. I think it's easy Mm -hmm. to wear and it's, it doesn't get in your way because it has a very Mm -hmm. small brim, but it does look really feminine. And I think it makes a lot of Mm -hmm. everybody's face look good. Yeah. Every shape. Yep. It's very universal. Yeah. When you're, when we're talking about hats, I remember when I first started driving, Mm -hmm. cause you know, I love hats. I can't help it. Right. Yeah. Um, but I got a lot of, you know, crap from people telling me that, you know, I should wear not, I should not be too feminine and I shouldn't wear yeah. a big hat But I, but what do you feel like is the trend now? Do you think that's still the case or 
No, people are wearing bigger hats. You know, it all depends on what you're driving. If you're driving a smaller pony, you don't want a hat that you could wear to the Kentucky Derby. So everything's proportionate, but we're lucky. People like some of the, the trend centers like, like Misty, she can wear a big hat and it never, for a tiny person, it never looks like it's overwhelming for her. She's also driving four very big horses. Yeah, but she can sit up there, and, and you know she's no bigger than a minute. But mm-hmm. she can carry a big hat, and and it's really nice. And you see the bigger hats. Lisa Stroud has bought some bigger hats from me recently, but not mm-hmm. over the top. Um, so we're getting bigger, but within reason. I mean, there's always a few people that, and they're wonderful customers that they don't care how big the hat is. They want a big hat, and they don't care if they drive a, a, something small. That's what they want right. to wear. And I'm not going to talk them out of it. Right. <laughs> but femininity, <laughs> femininity is definitely the trend right now which is so fun. Now, um, you also sell a lot of hats. Like you brought up the Kentucky Derby. Mm -hmm. That must be fun selling hats for the Kentucky Derby. It is. It's really (laughs) fun. I do. That's, that's my, well, that and the saddlebreds, those are my biggest clients right now. Um, people, when they go to the Derby, they go to the Oaks, which is the Philly race the day before. And that is breast cancer awareness day. And everybody wears pink. Mm -hmm. So they have to have their, their derby hat and their oaks hat so that's usually a two-day a two-hat event for and that for must my be fun customers. for you because you can go over the top with that it there's no limit i yeah. have some people come to me and they send me their dress in january and they say match this the bigger the better so that's that's big long old feathers that and must be fun. lots of dancing yeah it, it is fun and I'm, I'm actually and you know what other one of the other trends is is i'm working a lot in Silk Dupioni or, or raw silk these days, putting that around the crowns, and that's very, very popular. How long does it um, take you to make a hat? From start to finish, about six hours. Oh wow! So you you know you can do it in six hours. Well, it depends if I do an assembly line with the blocking and everything. If I'm just trimming, I can do that a lot faster. Oh um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it it just you know I. I Unless I have a custom order, I try to do a more, you know, block and then trim and that kind of stuff. So, and then how, how do you get all your hats places when you go set up your booths? Well, I've got a hat trailer and I pull behind my pickup truck and I have the wire, like lattice work um, grid wall that I put up and, and um, stands. But I use big Tupperwares, as big as I can get from Lowe's or some of my suppliers, and I pack them in kind of sideways, like, um, kind of like a deck of cars, not on top of each other. So I'll yeah. pick up, I can fit about eight to a, eight hats to a, a box. Oh my gosh. Hmm. That must be yeah. quite a adventure. It's an undertaking. Yes. <laughs> now what about when, uh, like say I'm planning on my show outfit for the year and I'm mm-hmm. going to do the Florida circuit. Uh-huh. It's winter, but we're in Florida. Like what hat it, would it be wrong to wear? that's a tough one it's well you know i I tell everybody you know it's the season i mean we've all shown at live oak when it's been 40 degrees and we've all Mm -hmm. shown when it's 80 degrees so i I say you know i always have one of one of each a felt or a straw that the cinemas with the silk around them really could go all year round and some felt Mm -hmm. can go all year round the mini toppers can go all year round so it, it really depends the hats are more universal than if you're wearing a heavy tweed and it's 80 degrees it looks a little more out of uh, out of sorts to me. Right. So you dress for the weather, and um, everybody's like, "Well, we're you know it's winter, so I should wear winter." But I'm like, "It's 80 degrees, guys. We're in Florida." Right. So <laughs> it's like if you know if it's raining out, wear a rain hat. 
but I don't, I don't want to wear a rain hat. I said, well, if I'm judging and you're wearing a white blouse and you're see-through now because you refused to wear a, a raincoat, <laughs> you know, use your head. So, so what, is, what, that's anyway. a good, um, that's a good thing. What do you wear for a rain hat? Do you have rain hats that don't look yeah, like I carry rain hats. Going fishing? Yep. <laughs> right. I do. I, they're hard. They're hard. I do have some rather feminine looking rain hats and I do have some hats that are in a plastic straw that, um, that are very pretty and you can wear those in the rain. Oh, that's good. So then if they get rained yeah. on, it doesn't matter. It, they, no, it doesn't matter. And but you a don't lot have of my hats are actually, probably. right. Well, see, you know, a lot of my hats are, are made well enough. They all got a wire in the brim, especially cinemas. They can take a light rain and people worry about the feathers. But, you know, I always say, look at the birds. They do fine in rain. They just dry off. That's true. Well, Katie, yeah. thanks so much. And where can everybody see your great hats? Hatsbykatie.com or Hatsbykatie on Facebook. Um, and then also I'll be based at the Grand Oaks. We have the yellow house at the top of the hill right up above the covered arena starting January 15th until March 15th. I'll also be at the Grand, uh, at uh, Live Oak with my hats and then a lot of different shows this summer. Just go on my website and you'll see a list or follow me through Facebook. It's going to be All weird, right. Katie. You're going to be in the same place for a while. <laughs> I know. I, I, I did 14 shows this year with my hat. It was a lot of traveling. Yeah, that's a lot of traveling. More Better you yeah. than me. Thanks, Katie. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, I'll talk to you. Well, next up, we are going to talk a little bit about traditional Chinese medicine in the TCVM segment. And then after that, it's Kitty doing her training tip of the month. We're finishing up with Kitty this month. So next up, play the music. Well, we were at Dr. Wendy's over the weekend, and we did talk a little bit about traditional Chinese medicine, about a couple of things. So tell us what we're talking about today. Well, we're talking about the water horse. And the uh, reason we're talking about the water <laughs> horse is because I tend to avoid water horses. I'll tell you why later, but uh, Jen's new horse, Nigel, is definitely a water horse. And you guys have all heard the trials and tribulations of what's been going on with Nigel, right? You guys talk yes. about that all the time. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I, I wanted to give you some insight and about why Jennifer's making so much progress with a horse like that. All right, can you re just review real quick the elements and what kind of horse they yeah. are? Just give us a quick reader's digest. Okay, the quick review, there's five elements, right? The wood is bossy and bold. They're like the three-day eventer, isn't it? Go and or the endurance horses, like they're going, they're going to be first. And then the fire is like the diva, you know, the pretty show horse. And also Glenn and I are both divas, <laughs> you know, uh, the earth <laughs> is really easy going. They're my favorite. They're like the trail horse that just wants to go slow and maybe eat grass. Uh, the metal is the schoolmaster, and they like order. They don't like change. Once they know they have a job, they do their job, and they're happy doing it. Um, and then the water, uh, water people tend to be super smart, right? They're chess players, and they are politicians, and they're, we call them the intelligent introvert, um, 
but they're so smart at seeing many moves ahead of you because they have a little bit of internal worry. They're a little bit fearful of situations. So they go through their mind in all the different options that can happen and think about how to avoid it. Where Glenn and I just kind of think, oh, well, I'm going to do this. So I'll just do that. I'll worry about that. Whatever happens later. Right. Yeah. So, so in horses. By the way, that isn't always the best way to go. I'm just. <laughs> no, but, but we are fire. So we don't think there's another way. We're just going to go. Okay. But in horses, if you have like an intelligent introvert, like think about it, like they don't have a ton of control of their situation. Right. And so, so that makes them a little bit fearful. Uh, so waters tend to seem like very spooky horses or ones that um, are, are difficult to train. Uh, you wouldn't want a beginner person on a water horse. And in fact, the very first thing I ever did on the horse radio network was with you and Helena and she had just gotten a new horse. That's right. And the horse was a water That's and right. she's a fire like us. Yep. And I'm like, well, I think <laughs> you need it. And horse. I don't know that that horse worked out either. If I remember right. Yeah. Those are difficult. And like yeah. I said, I tend to, uh, not really like waters myself cause they're difficult and I'm going to explain why. So, so a water horse, we have two different kinds of water. We have still water, and those are quiet and really shy horses. They're real careful. Um, those, when they're scared, they kind of just stand still, and they don't move, but you know they're scared, and you think, oh, I hope they don't blow up. Uh, then you have the flowing water, which those have like endless flow of energy, right? Like, you know, a river, the water just flows and flows and flows. But if it doesn't have a channel, if it's not, uh, have a, it doesn't have any direction to its flow, it can become turbulent and causes a lot of damage, right? There's erosion and think bad things happen. Tsunamis happen. So those horses also, uh, and people too, water people, they'll push themselves and push themselves beyond their limit. They don't realize they're tired and then they crash. So those horses need to be reminded to rest. Uh, also the season of the water is winter, um, and the organs related to the water element are the bladders and the bladder and the kidneys. And in Chinese medicine, the bladder and kidneys are also related to like the bones. So arthritis and the nerves, because, um, the, in the way we think of Chinese medicine, the nerves are related to the kidneys and then also, of course, the reproductive organs and the jing, which is like your life force. So, um, so an unbalanced water, the first sign you'll see is that they're fearful. They're the kind of horses that kind of just check out. And Jen and I were talking a little bit about this, uh, which is one of the reasons why I don't really like waters, because... I hate to be on a horse when something happens and they just kind of check out. And I, I think all riders know that feeling. And that is when you're the most out of control. And you really have to figure out how to get back into their mind to, to calm them. But if they've really just like checked out, you can't do anything. <laughs> so you got to like ride it out or do something. So to me, that makes me nervous. Uh, another thing you might see is poor body condition because they're just like overworked. They also can have low back pain, which is associated with repro organs and, and also the, the bones of the spine. 
And like I said, arthritis and also infertility. So sometimes you have mares that have these horrible cycles, like they're not just bad, but they just are so spooky or just un unreasonable when they're in season and they may not see a cycle on a regular basis. That might be a water imbalance. Um, so basically with Nigel, uh, you know, Jen does a great job with him because Nigel is a water. He, he's good and he knows he should pay attention, but there are things like that going on in his own brain that he just can't get over. And, um, and I have a horse that's also a water that I sometimes trail ride, but most times I do more dressage with him because he also is a water. And I think I didn't really realize that he's like the flowing water. So he seems like he's, he's ready to go, but inside he's like a little baby. And, um, since I'm a fire, right. You know how with the five elements, we talk about which elements, um, support each other. Right. So the fire, uh, or the water is the grandparent of the fire in Chinese culture. The grandparent is the disciplinarian of the family, right? So the water grandparent controls the fire. So Abby is forcing me to be more relaxed and have a plan. I can't just go out there late, say, Oh shit, I'm supposed to be riding with my friends at, in 30 minutes and just throw the tack on and go down the road. I can't do that with the water because I need to plan. So I need to say, so okay, in a way, it's Abby, forcing you to be better too. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The yeah. water is controlling me to be better. Because it's very easy for me as a fire to ride an earth or a metal. Like the fire is the mom of the earth, right? So an earth horse is like, like I always say like the trail horse, quarter horse. I could be like, just walk out there, like and grab it and get on and go and have a fun trail ride. It wouldn't care if I, Great. you know, planned ahead. Or the metal, the metal, um, you know, the metal would be trained by the fire. Like, Oh, she's not going to plan ahead. Oh, we're going riding at 10 30. Oh, she'll be out here at 10 25, throw my tack on and I better walk down the road. So, um, so the, so the water forces a fire to be a better trainer. In Jen's case, Jen's a metal and the metal supports the water. They're the mom of the water. So Jen Coach Jen is such a good trainer because she does everything the same way and she never gets rattled and she plans ahead, you know, and the waters really like that because then the water is never out of control. They have somebody that's planning to protect them from all the horrible things that could be happening. Like it's the only reason she's oh. been able to put up with me all these years. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Because, because but you, you are the grandparent of the metal. See, so you metals sometimes get like melancholy is like the happiest they can be. Right. Cause they're real serious, but you force Jen to have fun. That's true too. That is true. Because she'd work she'd stay much. at home and never go anywhere if I wasn't around. Right. So you drag her to Disney, whether she likes it or not. Right. I drag her to your house, but she wanted to do that. <laughs> so going, but plus she's there, she has fun. 
Exactly. But, uh, That's exactly what it is. Like, I want to let's go out to dinner tonight because I need to get out of the house. No, I'd rather stay home. And then once she goes out, she's fine. But I have to drag her. Yeah. Right. But the so, reason why metal makes the water feel safe is the water in their mind, like, is okay, say you go try to ride your water on trash day. Okay. Like, I call that riding the gauntlet. Yeah. So you go out <laughs> of your driveway and, like, oh my God. There's trash out there. Like, oh my God, those people's recycling is has, you know, paper in there that's gonna blow out and get me. Or that dog's barking, or this looks different, or oh my God, here comes the giant trash truck. And I don't know if it's gonna stay on the road because it could come over and jump over here on the side of the road at any minute. That's right. So yeah, so waters think about all that. But Jen, it, okay, here's here's the deal. The difference between me and you and Jen. Jen would be like, we're not going trail riding. It's trash day. <laughs> right. We're going to stay in the arena. That's crazy. <laughs> we're like, oh. <laughs> you see, so even just from the very basics, like, metals would be like, no, we don't trail ride on trash day, you idiot. And the water's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> now, there is some food therapy that you have down here for the for the waters. Oh, yeah. So... Some food therapy that you can do at home. We want to, uh, food therapy is very good because it works slow um, and it's very gentle. So we can use food therapy to support the constitution of our animal, right? So a water horse, they tend to be deficient in their kidney energy and also their jing, which is their life force. So we can use foods that, that support that. And one of the best foods for that is spirulina, which is like um, blue-green algae. You can also, if some horses don't like spirulina because it tastes like pond water. So if you don't want to use spirulina, you could also use like um, some kind of kelp or seaweed. So seaweeds are really good to tonify the kidney. And uh, goji berries are also really great for tonifying the kidney and jing. And those are super easy to find nowadays. You can get them online. Um or you can um, get them at any health food store, and they usually come dried, and they're really yummy. They're, they look like little um, dried cranberries, but they're sweet, and horses love to eat those. And also, if you have a mare that is, uh, like I was talking about, that's really spooky when she's cycling, raspberry leaf is very good to tonify the kidney and also helps with uh, regulating the cycle. Then the secondary problems we have with water horses are they're crazy, right? So they have, we say their shens disturbed. And then that stress also causes some low-grade ulcers. So some of the things you can do to avoid ulcers, you know, aside from all the regular other things is, you know, they need lots of hay in their tummy and um, smaller grain meals. But you can add something like lingzi, which uh, that's a Chinese herb, but it's also known as Ganoderma mushrooms. So that's really easy to find. Mushroom powder can be found in any health food store. Uh, and if you have access to oat straw, oat straw is really good for the tummy and also uh, relaxes the, the mind. And it also is great because oat straw takes a long time to digest so it kind of burns off some of that extra energy and it helps with the hindgut. And then, of course, alfalfa. I mean, some people do feel like alfalfa makes their horses hot, but I think that's an old wives' tale. Alfalfa is actually a cooling food and it's also really high in minerals. So uh, the minerals tend to uh, help guard the tummy 
and also um, helps relax the nerves. And you also, we'll wrap with this, um, you had Jennifer put uh, Nigel, start giving him aloe juice, which is oh, from yeah. the aloe, aloe plant, juice. and uh, she went out and bought a gallon and has started that. Aloe juice is a really great way. You know, I, sometimes I have people feel like, oh, I think my horse has ulcers, so I want to put them on a Miprazole. Well, that's really expensive, and if you're going to go through all that, you probably should talk to your veterinarian, maybe get scoped, you know, get a diagnosis before you start medicine. But you can maybe try some food therapy first. And aloe juice is really uh, um, like mucilaginous. So it coats the, the gut, um, but it also is cooling. And you can find it anywhere. Like she, where she got, went to the grocery store. See, and got she went to CVS. Yeah, that's right. And, it was and the horses love to eat it. Yeah. And you can just pour it like a cup over their food, give them a cup a day. And that helps not only the, the fore stomach, but it helps the hindgut. And it's interesting because aloe plants have, my mom used aloe plants when we were kids. She always had an aloe plant. And of course, you had a cut or you had an itchy whatever. You got bit by something. She'd put aloe on it, just rub aloe yeah. right on it. And so yeah. it makes sense that it, what it does on the outside, it would do on the inside, which is the same thing, really. Uh, it's yeah. the same thing that it's doing for cuts and abrasions on the skin. Well, I'm just like slippery elm. Like that's a big one for ulcers. It's the same thing. It has a lot of mucus in there and it helps coat the tummy. One thing about aloe plants in Florida is they are everywhere. We probably have a hundred on our farm. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. You have to think about growing them indoors when you live up in Pennsylvania or up there, but here they're everywhere. Well, yeah. that brings us right. And thank you for that, Dr. Wendy. That brings us, and of course, we always say that uh, Dr. Wendy is a veterinarian, but you should seek veterinary care for your own horse. Ask your vet or your traditional Chinese medicine doctor about your particular situation. And we have coming up next uh, our training tip of the month with Kitty Cadwell. <laughs> January 3rd, 2019, our first show of the season is starting actually today at Grand Oaks. But whether you're a new driver or an old driver, do you know all the rules for 2019? Because if you don't, you're behind the eight ball already. So Kitty Cadwell of Tremont Farm is here to help us make sure we know all the rules before our show season starts. So welcome, Kitty. Hi, how are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, so you know what? I think that a lot of people read the rule books once when they first get into showing. And then, you know, they hear of th different things going on. But really, a lot of people don't know the rules until you've done something. And then you get eliminated or a big fat penalty. And you're like, oh, I wish I had known that before I did this dumb thing. So how do we keep up to date on the rules? So there are tons of resources, which as drivers, we need to learn to use. So whether you're doing pleasure driving or combined driving, no matter what you're doing, the rules do change. So you need to always keep track of that. And a really good resource is the American Driving Society. And usually right around this time of year, they will put out a change of rules. So you need to look at your rules and see what has been changed. It's usually in red. So either the American Driving Society or the USEF website are very good tools for people to use to keep track of that because this year there are a lot of changes. Oh, really? Like what? 
Well, in the dressage test, they've gone, they've eliminated the collective marks at the end. So what are the impulsion? Uh, those kind of marks, submission, impulsion, have been removed from the dressage test. Oh, and so they're happy. feeling like it's, <laughs> it's going to put more of an emphasis on the driver. Right. So if you take those marks out and then you have a driver score and a presentation score, what they're hoping is that you won't get either favoritism at the end, the politics, mm -hmm. which is you could bump up the score by giving a collective mark, right. or it won't become all about the fanciest horse in the place. Right. Because if you judge what is in front of you, and if you read how the marks go sufficient, insufficient, you know, even the the plainest horse can get a good dressage score if it is well driven, if you're right. accurate, if it's bending, if it is well behaved, if it's quiet at its halt, anybody can get a good score. So you don't you don't want to take away from the horse that is so well behaved and does its job and give it to something that's really fancy on an extension. Right. Or, you know, uh, with that too, uh, with the collectives, I think sometimes like there's certain things like what if it's raining and it's really muddy and you're driving a little pony and at the back they can't push the carriage back. So they throw their head or do something. Right. So yeah. Okay. You get a bad mark on your back, but then what if they ding you again in the collectives at the bottom on submission, but the pony was great all the way along? Yes, that's very true. And that's exactly right. It's, it should, you know, that it can it be conditions. It can be what's going on around. What if it's like, you know, as you and I have both driven in a hurricane, oh, yeah. remember the laurels. <laughs> so we have all done it and slogged through that mud and wind and rain and bad conditions. It snowed on us. Yeah. But yeah, they, the dressage judges really need to judge what is in front of them. It doesn't matter who it is, how expensive yeah. their harness is, is, it matters what the movement is in front of them. Yeah. I think that's great. You were I very excited, really... Wendy. You didn't just think it was great. You were very excited about this change. Well, and then another thing is, my you... I, I, I have lots of ups and downs. You know, my tests are never like, my tests are never good, but I have moments of greatness, but then I have like <laughs> moments of like total disaster. So I already know. But you should be... <laughs> Go ahead. You, you should be rewarded for your good points and dinged for the bad stuff. I yeah, mean, you know that Duke grazed at the halt at Live Oak. You know that. That's not a surprise to you. So if your oh. halt score wasn't that good, that's okay. But your next one-handed circle was beautiful. So you should get good points for that because you should right. judge each part of the test. But then you know what? Every time that he grazed at X, first of all, I blame Chester because that grass is so beautifully fertilized. Second of all, <laughs> they really ding me on my submission <laughs> score because he grazes there. And it, it's like, See, okay, I, 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 know. I do. I feel like in a dressage test that grazing, your leader grazing is probably... Yeah, I, I could see them the digging best, you for that. It's not the best movement uh, on the <laughs> He test. did it to me single once. I, I was even single. I was, like, doing my salute and my hat. I didn't have my hat on, like, that great. So I was thinking about my hat, and I <laughs> he 
Got a little bite of in there. You were. But I shouldn't I know it's embarrassing enough that I'm grazing at Live Oak at X. So do they have to ding me again at the bottom? That's well, I feel like you know how those little kids ride the ponies and they get pulled forward all the time because the ponies learn that they can almost pull the kids off. Yeah. I almost feel that's what your horses were doing to you. Oh. <laughs> they were like, Oh, I can get I can do it. And then their heads would go down and yeah, Wendy couldn't do anything about it. No, but as a leader, he would just take a couple steps back, and then I wouldn't know. Yes. What was happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, okay, good. You're right, so smiling and enjoying the crowd. <laughs> All right, what's well, next? <laughs> so, the thing is, you need to read your rule book, people. Everyone needs to know the rules. There was a huge thing when they started um, that we couldn't canter. After the last hazard, you could only walk or trot. People were getting penalties consistently because they would let their horse canter there. Even if it was just a relaxed canter, you weren't allowed to canter there. So people got penalties. And as you said in the beginning, you're getting penalties for something you could have learned in a rule change. So really pay attention. And you know what, people? Don't be afraid to ask somebody. Ask another competitor. Ask the TD come up to uh, ask me at a show. I don't mind. Any of us are happy to answer the question because I would rather that someone tells you than you get yourself extra penalties for something that you could have, you know, avoided. You know, I also like to go over that little, they have that summary of all the ways you can get eliminated or get penalties on marathon and cones. Cause those change a lot, you know? So I should know that. You haven't seen that they have a little summary at the end is the annex. And oh, it yes. Yeah. The, the summary of penalties and cones. So it says like, if you go in without your hat, jacket or gloves or your lap. Gloves, yep. But mm-hmm. think about how many grooms go in and then they forget, forget their gloves. gloves. Yeah. So they have. And so to you, me, and that's you, silly penalties. Yeah, five penalties. That's very silly penalties. Somebody, yeah, exactly. You know, but you or, know, we've all done it. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of times your groom, maybe they're not, they're they're not horsey. They're like your, you know, husband or your significant other. They don't know. Right. You're the yes. one that should know. Right, and there are a lot of rules to know. So it it if you question, just ask somebody. Drivers are perfectly willing to help you. Now, Same um, with the pleasure shows. Oh, yeah. Pleasure shows, there's a lot of rules. Yes. Um, now, I have a question about outside assistance, because that has changed since I've been driving. So what is the new rule about outside assistance? So for advanced, there is no longer an outside assistance rule. What does mm-hmm. that mean? Outside People assistance? are allowed to talk to you. So outside assistance is someone talking to you from the ground, riding a bike next to you, talking to you, feeding you scores or times. Uh, You know, maybe you missed a gate in a hazard and someone yelled out, go back for D. You used to not be able to do that. And they're allowed now? So I could scream at Wendy the whole time? Well, even at advanced now, only at the advanced drivers, yes. You could even wear an earpiece if you wanted to. Really? Yes. So somebody can coach you through the obstacle? And then the other change... That's weird. That's unusual change. Yeah. 
is your grooms are going to be allowed to talk to you in cones. Oh, that's great. Yes, because I think it was happening a lot anyway. Yeah. But now your grooms will be able to give you your split times or say things to you during cones. Like, hurry the hell up. Stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, you're way behind. You better get going. Yeah. Right. Like, wrong turn there, buddy. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> but I think they're going to make you declare who is on the carriage that, you know, can speak to you. You can't just have anybody yelling. But that's just in, in cones, not in dressage. That's in cones. No. But uh, the thing for Marathon, really, I, I think why they started changing this well, this um, outside assistance was for welfare of the horse. Mm. Because when people would have problems or tip yeah. over or, you know, people weren't going in to help because it was considered outside assistance. Yeah. But a lot of times getting assistance to and aid to the horses right away is the most important thing. And people, I feel like we're hanging back because they're like, oh, well, we don't want to get the millennium eliminated for outside assistance. Right. But so it becomes a welfare of the horse issue. Right. Well, that's, that's good. True. Yeah. That's a good change. All right. Very good. Anything yes. else? Well, yes. We want our horses safe. Oh, well, we could talk for hours, no. but no, that's okay for today. <laughs> All right. Good. <laughs> Can I ask you one thing about the outside assistance? Is that only for advanced or is that for intermediate and prelim also? The marathon is only for advanced. Okay. But I have a feeling that might change. Yeah. You know, I don't know why we would have a rule at, at FEI and not trickle it down to the lower levels. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that you learn as you go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is one of my pet peeves, I will tell you right now, is that we're the only nation that sends our lower level drivers out alone. Yeah. Every other country makes them take a groom. We say, oh, it's okay. You're a lower level driver. You can drive by yourself. They don't take grooms. It, we yeah, make all of our people it. take grooms with them. Yeah, because especially at the speeds and cones now, you need a second person on the carriage. Yeah. And it's more fun. Yes, it is more fun. <laughs> but in cones, it's easy to roll over in a marathon carriage in cones without somebody sitting on the back. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, so we, it could happen. we would love if you have a question for the training segment that we do here on the driving show, please do send them in. You can email them to Glenn at horseradionetwork.com or post them over on our horses in the morning, Facebook page, and we'll see them there. Uh, Katie, where can people find you? You can go to tremontfarm.com. Or we have a Facebook, which is Miranda or Katie Cadwell, and you can find us there easily. Very Tree good. Tree Farm. <laughs> Thank you very much, Katie. We'll see you again next month. Well, Wendy, where can people find you? At drwendying.com and on Facebook. And your product of the week again was? It was the Thrush Thrasher. And they'll find that and on your website as well? Herbal, they'll find it on the, on the website, and it's an herbal solution for thrush. Very good. And Jennifer must have bought something from you recently because I saw that charge come through, Five Elements Free Animals, on on our charge card. So I think she bought something, too. So uh, (laughs) thank you to the American Driving Society for their continued support of this episode. We are here every first Thursday of the month. And, of course, you can go back and listen to past episodes. Just go to horsesinthemorning.com and go down to the middle of the page, and you will see where it says driving. And click on that. It brings up all the past episodes. 
episodes. If you want to hear any of the past episodes for the last, like, eight years, you can go to drivingradioshow.com as well. Horses in the Morning is here five days a week. We'll be back tomorrow. Get your really bad ads into Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. We do need some really bad ads because you all have been slacking over the holidays. So get your ads in, and we'll start the first really bad ads of the year. We're excited. So that'll be tomorrow here on the show. And, of course, you can find all of our other shows on the network on our app. It's free for iPhone or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network. We have 15 shows, soon to be 16. And uh, if you missed any of the past episodes, you can find them on our website at horsesinthemorning.com. Thank you, Wendy. All right. Thank you. And remember, keep the shiny side up.